New ideas. Big debates. Meeting the change makers. Transforming services. I'm Matthew Taylor, and this is Health on the Line, brought to you by the NHS Confederation. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Health on the Line. I'm pleased to be able to welcome back Patricia Hewitt. Patricia joined us back in January at a relatively early stage of our independent review of the oversight and governance of integrated care systems. But now we're speaking a few hours ahead of the publication of her final report. So, Patricia, welcome. Uh, How are you? I know from my own review a few years ago that these last few hours before publication can be a frenetic and somewhat anxious time. Absolutely, Matthew, and it's uh, no difference with no different with this review. But I do want to thank you personally, but all the Confed team, because you've given such great support to this review from the very beginning, and it's been invaluable having the various networks that the Confed mobilises, um, so that I've been able to engage through those networks with so many of the hundreds of individuals and organisations who've been engaged in this review. Now, when we spoke in January, Patricia, you talked about what you'd learned through the process by then. That was, I think, you know, a couple of months into this uh, review. You talked about how your ideas had shifted from initially thinking that the issue was around the kind of micromanagement by the centre to moving to an idea that we all need to change to live up to the challenges of the new ways of working implicit in the creation of ICSs. Has that has that journey continued for you as as as, as the review has unfolded? Yes, yes, it has. But the starting point, and in a sense, the 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 platform for this review does remain the same because all of us, I think, can see that integrated care systems are the best opportunity we will ever have in this generation to transform our health and care system. And frankly, the pressures upon the 3 million, nearly 3 million people working in the NHS and in social care, and the frustration of patients and carers who, not all the time, but far too often, can't get the care they need, Those are exactly why we have to have this fundamental transformation of our health and care system. So what has struck me as this review has gone on is how absolutely committed everybody is to the success of this reform. It really is the right reform at the right time. And the commitment is there. It's there from ministers. It's there across political parties. It's there of course, in NHS England, and it's there in all the partners, local government, the voluntary community, faith, social enterprise sector, it's there uh, amongst social care providers and many others, both nationally and in the 42 ICSs. But we do all have to change. And just as we all find in our own local systems, that we have to build relationships, we have to understand each other's points of view, and we have to compromise in order to get 
the best possible results for the people we're looking after and supporting, that has to happen right through the system. And and I found, Patricia, that reading through the final report, and I would really encourage people not just to kind of look at the headlines or even just the recommendations, but to read the report, because I think it's a it's a really important overall statement uh, about about the challenges and the opportunities for this for this new way um, of working. I'm going to take one quote from the review because I felt that kind of summed up in a sense the feeling that I know you picked up from ICSs um, and from your own experience as the chair of an ICS. So, so, so here's the, here's the quote. You write, for the new system we have created to succeed, we need some honest conversations about what is working and what needs to change. There are many unsung examples of effective team working between the department and NHSE and systems in all and every permutation. But there are also examples of tensions, wasted time and needless frictional costs generated by uncoordinated pursuit of organisational goals that do not take account of their wider effects. This also makes it harder for vital partners outside the NHS, including local government, the VCFSE and social care providers, to collaborate effectively with the NHS. It can often feel to them like looking in on a purely NHS conversation that absorbs enormous amounts of time and energy that could be devoted to joint working. Everyone needs to change and everyone needs to give a little so that the system as a whole works better. Do you feel, Patricia, that you've had those honest conversations? And more importantly, how confident are you about them continuing? I've been in this, I think, extraordinarily privileged position, Matthew. I've been able to have honest conversations with many people privately, as well as very uh, open and engaging and often creative conversations in more public forums. And like you, I really would urge people to read the report, and I apologise for the fact that it is so long, but including that crucial section you've just quoted Uh, from on the relationship between the Department for Health and Social Care, NHS England itself, and integrated care systems. Because I think I've been able, I've certainly tried to stand in the shoes of different people because I have been health secretary myself. I chair an integrated care board. And of course, I've worked exceptionally closely with NHS England. So I understand those different perspectives. And what I've tried to do in the report is not just reflect those differences where they do exist, but also to make very practical recommendations about how we can move things forward. So for instance, where there are um, disagreements about the extent to which data is shared, I've suggested a, um, a review inside government may be led by the number 10 uh, delivery unit to take a clear view on that that everybody can rely on. But more importantly, what I've suggested is that, for instance, in relation to the uh, whole problem of discharge and the lessons that we're all learning in each of our systems from this last winter, that process should actually involve the department, NHS England and 
integrated care systems ourselves, and that it should report, if you like, or be overseen by uh, the Minister for Health and Social Care, the appropriate minister from the Leveling Up Department, and of course, the Chief Executive of the National Health Service. Because one of the issues for integrated care systems, we are broad and increasingly effective partnerships locally with local government and other partners equally involved alongside the NHS itself. And we need those similar cross-government, cross-departmental arrangements nationally in order to really give integrated care systems the support we need, the understanding from different policy perspectives, um, give us the best chance of success. Yeah, and I think this is such an important point, Patricia. In, in my own conversations with officials and the departments and senior leaders in NHSE, I think the thing that I've I've found that I have to keep kind of reminding folk is that ICS is, unlike any other health institutions we've had before, have this strong sense of lateral, lateral accountability to their partners locally. And that therefore... The question that we've discussed in the past with any organisation, which is the kind of distribution of power within the NHS funnel, is now a different conversation because of the fact that ICSs both have and want to have this lateral accountability to partners. It feels to me still as though there's some distance to go in the centre, in the department NHSE, to fully appreciate that. I completely agree with that, Matthew. There was a point actually not so many weeks ago when um, some of my team and I, we were having a very intense, really important private conversation uh, with very senior leaders from NHS England. And what became clear was NHS England rightly see integrated care boards the NHS part, if you like, of an integrated care system as part of the one NHS team that is so vividly, I think, expressed in the new operating framework. But at the same time, as every one of us in integrated care boards know, we are part of the one system that we belong to in our own integrated care system. And there's always been a tension between that, if you like, vertical accountability and the looking out, so looking upwards, if you like, to NHS England and the horizontal, the looking outwards to our partners, our patients, our communities, the people we are fundamentally accountable to. And getting that balance right, we're certainly not there yet, but um, many of the recommendations I make in the report, for instance, for a much shorter mandate, building on the improvements in uh, last year's planning guidance, much greater uh, financial and other freedoms and flexibilities, particularly for the more mature systems, all those things are designed to give us in the integrated care boards, 
the space and time and the tools we need to be really great partners within the wider integrated care systems, which is where the real transformation will happen, whether it's at the system level or crucially in our place partnerships, our integrated neighborhood teams, our provider collaboratives, and so on. I think that there's one particular kind of element of this which really brings it into kind of stark relief, which is that integrated care partnerships, partnership bodies where the health services exist on an equal level with local government and other partners, I think something we discussed, you and I, early on, is that they were existing, in a sense, in a kind of accountability vacuum. And they couldn't be accountable purely to the NHS because of their partnership status. But other parts of government didn't have a kind of relationship with them. And I think there's a specific recommendation, isn't there, in your report about how we deal with this kind of accountability vacuum for ICP? Well, at a local level, of course, local government is intensely accountable through to their own voters. Um, but I and I I do make a number of recommendations for how we ensure that there is a proper understanding and accountability for integrated care systems nationally, but without creating the, if you like, micromanagement of local government. I think you were the one who pointed out um, was so prevalent 20 years ago and has taken quite some time to unpick. But I think, for instance, my recommendation for a national forum of integrated care partnerships so that we bring those wider partnerships together, give them a voice directly into government and ensure that, again, you've got uh, the Department for Leveling Up, you've got the new Office for Local Government, of course, uh, Department of Health and Social Care, of course, NHS England, but also other government departments whose work impacts on that broader purpose of integrated care systems, including the work on prevention, population health management, and tackling those appalling health inequalities, because they can't wait until after we've fixed the NHS performance problems, they are actually the best and indeed the only sustainable route to dealing with the performance problems and actually creating much better health outcomes um, and much better care. Throughout the report, Patricia, you, you encourage Department NHS England to acknowledge the role of ICS is to, for example, that the, the default should be that when it comes to uh, interventions in relation to providers, that, that those interventions should come through rather than going round uh, ICBs. But you also have a really interesting idea, and, and I think it's not revealing too much to, to say this is an idea that came quite late in the process of the development of your thinking which is this idea of high accountability and responsibility partnerships, HARPs. Um, for some people, this, this idea might seem as though in the, in the debate you had early on in the review between those who argued for kind of earned autonomy versus those who argued for assumed autonomy, they might feel that the notion of the HARP, the high accountability and responsibility partnership for high achieving ICS is, 
that sounds a bit more like the earned rather than the assumed model. This has been a really interesting debate. And uh, you're right, my my new four-letter acronym, got to have one of those, as the HSJ pointed out, that crystallized quite late in the day. What I found was you have some people at one end who basically would say maximum autonomy uh, for all integrated care systems immediately and then rely on transparent data and the CQC to ensure that they're accountable. At the other end of the spectrum, I found people who I think really saw and see greater autonomy as almost the reward for sorting out performance and delivery issues. And I have to say, I don't sit at either extreme. And I really understand the um, the, the distaste for that phrase, earned autonomy. It, 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 it brings an awful lot of baggage with it. But what I'm proposing here with these high accountability and responsibility partnerships, I think gives us a really radical opportunity to, uh, if you like, create the new and really show what success looks like. And what I'm envisaging is, I would say, at least 10 integrated care systems operating as hubs with maximum freedoms, flexibility, uh, and responsibility, but of course within uh, a robust system for accountability, operating in that way from the 1st of April next year. One of the other themes in, in, in the report, which goes with this, Patricia, and that we discussed a little when we spoke in January, was around an idea I sometimes articulate it as for ICSs to succeed, they have to demonstrate a different kind of public sector leadership. You put quite a lot of emphasis in, in the review on the need for support and investment in organisational development in ICSs for um, leadership. You you remind us of the recommendations of the Messenger Review and you you kind of prompt NHSE to, to, to take forward Messenger a little bit, perhaps more quickly than we have done thus far. So I, I think... Would I be right in saying, Patricia, that this idea that, that we do need to cultivate a new type of leadership is it, 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 something that's been confirmed for you during the review process? Absolutely. Um, it was really interesting during the, the review. I think we started off with quite a focus on structures and, as you were saying, top-down performance management and all of that. But actually, as the discussion went on, this whole issue of culture collaborative leadership behaviours emerged as one of the most important issues. Now, the new operating framework, and particularly what I think is a very powerful definition of the kind of leadership and values and behaviours that we need within the National Health Service, I'm seeing that reflected in the wider discussion going on inside most, I suspect, all systems about the the values and behaviours that we want right across the system, right across the whole partnership. So that's really important. And I think the Messenger Review has given us a very clear description 
of the collaborative leadership that's needed, not just within the NHS, but across systems and across government, that requires time and investment in organizational development. I'm urging, I'm recommending to to ministers uh, as well as to NHS England and to ICSs themselves that we should all commit to that goal of self-improving systems. It means a much stronger focus on improvement rather than performance management in the old sense and regulatory intervention. And in particular, I'm recommending that the implementation group for the messenger review, which is just being set up and needs to be set up, should include outstanding leaders from outside the NHS as well as inside it, including particularly those who've led transformation in local government and in the voluntary sector. Let's turn to uh, another area, Patricia, where I think your thinking evolved during uh, the review. Indeed, I can I can quote you from the review. You, you say, having started the review with a degree of scepticism about the CQC, I now strongly support their enhanced role in relation to ICSs. Tell us why you kind of changed your view about the CQC and, and what you're recommending to ensure that the CQC's role really is as, as benign as possible. I've been very impressed by the conversations that I've been having with the CQC itself, but also with others about their potential role. Uh, a lot of people um, have had bad experience of box-ticking, compliance-focused CQC inspections in the past, um, sometimes with inspection teams who simply didn't have the right understanding of what a particular, perhaps, specialist trust was doing. And it was that kind of experience, I suppose, that had made me and many others uh, sceptical. But what I'm also seeing is real improvements, actually, in the way that CQC is carrying out many of its inspections and a determination on the part of its leadership and senior people within that organization to avoid those, frankly, either unhelpful or even destructive box-ticking exercises. And I think the way that CQC has already been going about its work, but intends to in what in effect is going to be a transitional year, really gives us in integrated care systems a chance to work with and alongside CQC, effectively designing in partnership an effective system of assessment, including critically of how systems themselves are adding value and really making a difference as we bring different parts of health and social care together to focus on outcomes and transform services, tackle inequalities and so on, all based on our four core purposes, as well as, of course, helping to solve those immediate Uh, delivery challenges. So I think with this year's work ahead of us um, and with CQC recognising the need 
that they have to build the right capability and expertise within their teams, get the right part-time inspectors um, onto the teams, including from within integrated care systems, from local government and the VCFSE sector and social care providers, as well as ICBs themselves. I think all of that gives me real confidence that they can be a powerful but independent ally in this quest for self-improving and high-performing systems. What's really important, though, isn't it, Patricia, is, is what it is that we measure, what it is that we focus upon. And, and, and as we our conversation draws to an end, just to kind of go back to the, the kind of driving inspiration behind the review, and I think what's motivated you, here's another quote from the review. You say, I heard real concerns that the transformational work of ICSs and specifically the opportunity to focus on prevention, population health and health inequalities might be treated as a nice to have that must wait until the immediate pressures upon the NHS have been addressed and NHS performance recovers. But that is what has always happened before and it must not happen this time. That is a critical theme running through the review, isn't it, Patricia? Absolutely. Or so many of us have been involved in the past in, you know, the CCGs, the PCTs, many, many attempts to make this decisive shift uh, upstream prevention, population health management, above all tackling health inequalities. There's a real chance to do it differently this time. It's one reason why I make this highly controversial but essential recommendation that we see at least a 1% shift in the share of the NHS budgets locally going to prevention over the next five years. And there are many, many others all making that same case for a national mission for improving the health of the nation alongside the local mission. And that means also focusing on outcomes. Are we supporting people to live longer, healthier, happier lives? Are we starting to narrow the quite shocking um, position we have now where life expectancy has stalled? For some people, it's gone, some groups, it's gone backwards. And as a nation, we are becoming less healthy rather than more healthy. We have to reverse that because apart from anything else, if we don't, we will never be able to build enough hospitals or employ enough staff or create enough beds to look after our aging population. Now, one of the things that one always does in these reviews, and it's inevitable, is identify areas that one can't fully resolve, but 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 clearly need further work. And it, it feels to me as though one of those, Patricia, that you point to strongly, but that you yourself have not been able to fully grapple with, is around funding, basically. And towards the end of the review, you call for a, a, an assessment of the capital regime in order to have a more flexible, more devolved approach to capital spending. And also you intriguingly uh, talk about 
the overall funding model. Uh, here's another quote. You say, I therefore recommend that NHS England work with DHSE, HM Treasury, and the most innovative and mature ICBs and ICSs, drawing upon international examples as well as local best practice to identify the most effective payment models to incentivize and enable better outcomes and significantly improve productivity. Uh, and I think that although you've not been able to kind of resolve that issue yourself. This sense that the past has seen models in which we fund activities in the health service or we fund institutions in the health service, but somehow we have to fund outcomes, we have to fund pathways, we have to fund services, that this is a really important piece of work that has to be undertaken. That's absolutely right, Matthew. And, you know, Talking about payment mechanisms and capital expenditure and so on uh, can sound very dry, but they're absolutely critical. Just, I mean, to take a slightly different but related example, if we look at primary care and particularly GP practices, <clears throat> we can see um, from the fuller stock take, other examples in this review. Um, we can see outstanding examples of primary care at scale, integrated neighborhood teams where people can get the appointments they need, but better still, instead of waiting for people to come to the NHS, phone up uh, or whatever it is, we can take the NHS and other support to them. Now, that really starts to transform services. But if we go on funding uh, GP practices through one silo, community pharmacies for another, community health, mental health, acute hospitals, all different silos and different payment mechanisms, we'll never make the changes we need. And that's why um, I recommend a, a completely different approach to GP contracts. The current system is simply not fit for purpose. And it's also why I'm recommending this cross-government review of what is now, frankly, a Byzantine process for trying to get approval for very badly needed uh, capital expenditure, uh, recognising, amongst other things, that half the GP practices that we're expecting uh, GPs and their staff to work from were built before 1948. We need to change that. The writing of a review, of course, is only part of a process in terms of trying to make sure it's impactful. And I think one of the, the great opportunities we've got now is that an aspect of loads of other government reviews I've seen is that when the review is published, if you're the author of the review, in a sense, you're left then without a role and simply watching from the sidelines, hoping the review gets taken forward. But of course, in this case, not only are you chair of an ICS yourself, but you're also a very active part of the Confed's own ICS network. So there's a real opportunity here, isn't there now, through that network to begin work on how we encourage implementation of your recommendations, how we do further work in those areas that you identify which the need further work. So I... I guess, in a sense, there's no rest for you, is there? You'll be, you know, we're speaking as the review is published, but but the work of then working with the department, with NHSE on implementation and development, well, that starts immediately, doesn't it? That work absolutely starts immediately, although I have to say I will be 
very grateful, and I hope my own Norfolk and Waveney partners will be great, very grateful to have rather more of my time devoted to our uh, just over a million people here and the things we are doing and need to do more of to uh, to support them in longer, healthier, happier lives. We're, we're doing that. But yeah, of course, there's follow-up work to do, and that does start immediately. I'm looking forward very much to meeting with, I hope, many colleagues in uh, from Integrated Care Systems in the session that the CONFED, thank you, has uh, is arranging in a few weeks' time. But I also think more broadly, there is such an opportunity for the 42 integrated care systems to learn and grow together. A lot of it is happening informally, um, often through uh, CONFED networks. I think we can do more of that. Um, many of the recommendations, as I've indicated, are designed to be very action-focused so that we we learn by doing and we collaborate more effectively by doing it together. But I think we could also, uh, as a network and with support from the CONFED, really think about how we learn together so that systems who've really made an advance in a particular aspect of our work can even more effectively buddy with and support systems who are struggling in that respect. There are so many ways in which I found over the years uh, chairing the Norfolk and Waveney STP and now the Integrated Care Board, um, I learned so much from other colleagues. I have learned so much in the course of this review. So let's take that forward and make integrated care systems as a whole a learning system that will benefit all of us and benefit the residents we're all here to serve. Well, Patricia, one final question. And we've only touched on the many recommendations and, and insights in, in the review. And I would encourage people, it's not that long. It's a, a couple of hours of time really well spent, I think, reading the whole review. And there's a lot that's very rich that isn't in the specific recommendations, but in the broader text. But, and, and I'm going to say something, Tricia, that I don't think you can say because you're, you're far too kind of stoical and professional to do this. I, I know that in the last few weeks, the challenge of finding a kind of landing ground in which on, you are firstly meeting some of the aspirations of your ICS colleagues, secondly, addressing the concerns of NHS England, particularly their sense that a lot of what you're encouraging, they are already doing through their own change processes. And then the concerns of the department, and particularly and inevitably, the kind of desire of the Secretary of State to be able to show that he has got a direct grip over some of the things that matter most to the public. That finding a landing ground between these different perspectives, there were times when it felt incredibly difficult, but you have managed it. But nevertheless, it does lead me to want to close with this question. If you could go back now to, I think it was November, and you got the phone call and you were given, I think, less than 24 hours to decide whether you wanted to do this review. If you could go back, Patricia, would you still say yes? <laughs> well, there have been 
times, Matthew. And, and look, thank you for, for recognising uh, some of those challenges. And of course, there have been times when I thought, goodness me, I must have been completely mad to take this on. But I've learned so much and worked with, you know, just even more of the inspiring colleagues that we have throughout our health and care system. Of course, I'm glad I've done it. Inevitably, the report is not going to be the perfect report that everybody, I'm sure, wanted and had in their mind. I'm very conscious of the weight of expectations upon it. And inevitably, any report, uh, particularly dealing with the complex ecosystem of health and care, any report is going to disappoint many of those expectations. But if we can all pull together and really concentrate on the, the, the great bulk, I would say, of this report, where we are all at least broadly in agreement, let's concentrate on the work we need to do together as integrated care systems and with national bodies. Let's get on with that. Um, and then for what it's worth, I will certainly feel <laughs> this has been worthwhile and glad that I accepted what was undoubtedly a very big challenge. Well, Patricia, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on Health on the Line and thank you for the work you've done on this really important review. Thank you, Matthew. You've been listening to Health on the Line from the NHS Confederation. Visit nhsconfed.org for more information about us and to register for events and webinars that delve deeper into the issues explored in this podcast. <laughs>